there's a difference between uh, having faces, ethnic faces, and key places. But it goes deeper than that. It, it goes into are black and ethnic staff involved uh, in decision making? How about placement? How about priorities? Are we just faces or are we people? Hi, listeners. Thanks for listening in today. February is Black History Month. Renee Begay suggested I interview Tom Fritz because Tom started a crew Black History series in the Cultural Competency Group on Workplace, our internal work platform. Enjoy the show. Well, Tom Fritz, thanks for being with us today. You are crew staff out of Atlanta, Georgia, and I would love just to hear more about you and your story. All right. Well, you know, uh, in a short testimony, I came to know Christ uh, at the age of five or six years old, and this was was, uh, a result of a family reaching out to the kids in the neighborhood. They extended uh, vacation Bible school type of environment, and uh, that's where I came to know Christ. Uh, Some of the things I remember, uh, let me start with the time that I was in the uh, Army. I I got drafted initially, and then uh, uh, my biology professor said, why don't you just join, take... uh, three years. That was during the draft, the period of the draft. What year? This was in 1966. And I only had been out of high school for, for a year. Uh, but uh, that, that, that was a turning point in my life for several reasons, one of which I started my first uh, Bible study. I was assigned to Cameron Bay in Vietnam. Uh, and there was so much evil going on among my fellow soldiers. Uh, you can imagine what they could have been involved with, everything from drugs, alcohol, you name it. Uh, and I asked the Lord, uh, somebody needs to do something here spiritually. Why don't somebody uh, do a Bible study? Initially, we had someone to do that. But uh, New Year's Eve, he had too many drinks. And his testimony was gone. Uh, So I pleaded to God, somebody needs to take his place. After a period of time, the Lord uh, impressed me to do that. I had never done a Bible study before. And we went through the book of Ephesians. And uh, God gave gave me my first uh, uh, ministry. Uh, We got going so much, I actually extended my time for one month to make sure everything was uh, was in order. However, I was very uh, disappointed because I did not reach out to the Vietnamese. And uh, on the plane, going, going back to the U.S., I told the Lord that the next place I go, I will not delay in asking him what I should do and do it. If it's to share my faith or if it's to do a Bible study, I will. And the Lord honored my prayers, went in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and ran into some navigators, and they took it over from there, uh, involved in a small group, involved in uh, uh, being involved in something called a Christian Serviceman Center, and got a chance to share how long ago was that? The four laws was white. It was in a white booklet. <laughs> I just picked it up and gave it to people. I, nobody taught me how to share share my faith. I went to the same school, uh, the same places that my the, the people who were discipling me went to. I uh, went to their church, got involved, and uh, I made, well, I shared with the pastor that I was a Christian, but I had never been baptized, and I would like to do that. And uh, he delayed that for many weeks, several weeks, and the person who was ministering to me uh, said, something's wrong here. And he went to the pastor and had him explain why. Why wouldn't I baptize him? Uh, Why wasn't I baptized? Uh, 
uh, oh, I didn't mention that this was an all-white church. And I didn't mention that it just so happened to be a Baptist church that uh, had an S in front of it. And the pastor was fearful that he would lose members, et cetera. But I guess finally uh, the Spirit led him to baptize me. He agreed. And that following Sunday I was baptized. Uh, I didn't see any difference in the church, but later I found that they did lose some, some members. So that was my first uh, direct uh, experience with uh, racism. Uh, after that, I got, when I left the Army, I went to college and ran into, uh, went to a community college, and of course, we had a Bible study group, uh, transferred to Temple University, and did the same thing. And uh, somebody called the crew and said, can you teach us how to, how to witness? And that's how I ran into Campus Crusade. Went to this thing called Expo 72, and that's where my life was changed. Um, I left my good good job, <laughs> and uh, the uh, director from crew, uh, he kept, I thought it was great. He was spending all his time with me, and he said, I want you to go over here and share with the athletes. I want you to do this and that. Uh, and gradually, he, he did less and less and had me do more and more. So... My first crew group was about 40, 45 uh, people for our weekly uh, uh, meetings, uh, and that, that, was, that was great. And just so happened that that was all white because of the part <laughs> that I was involved I was involved in. And got involved at University of Pennsylvania and Villanova, and we saw the Lord do some, some really great things, all the result of Explo. And seeing somebody come to know Christ for the first time. Uh, but you'll probably ask me some questions. That, and that's why I had this experience of working with uh, black students was at uh, Explo. But I'll let you ask those kind of questions and I, I will go into it in, in more, more detail. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I didn't know you were a Vietnam vet. Thank you for your service. Well, they didn't say that at the time that uh, nobody thanked me for my service back in those days because of the anti-war. Uh, so I stopped telling people I was in, uh, uh, I was in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll leave it at that because I thought everybody was right and that it, mm-hmm. it was a war that we should have never been involved in. Hmm. Well, Tom, February is Black History Month. Yes, and- it is. You've started a series for crew staff on our internal site workplace to celebrate black crew staff's contributions, character, and passion to reach African-Americans with the gospel. So maybe you could start by just telling us more about what inspired you to start that series. Well, that's a good, a good question. I, I, I started this, this series. Number one is Black History Month. And number two, I, I really felt that more staff should know about the history of uh, blacks and crew. And when I think about crew, I think about my own personal experiences. Now, crew uh, is moving into a direction that uh, Daryl Smith has, and he's in charge of uh, unity, that I said, oneness uh, uh, and ethnicity. And this is, this is great, and it it gives us the opportunity to say, where have we come from? And many staff, I found out, they, they thought this was the first attempt of crew to be involved in, in oneness and uh, diversity. Uh, I should have said oneness and diversity is, is, is the name. He's doing, he's doing a great job of, with that. But I wanted the staff to know that there's a history, uh, that these things that we are talking about now uh, really started in the 70s, uh, probably in 1970, 71 or so. And there were a lot of people did some great things. Uh, there are a lot of things that uh, crew has learned or should have learned. There are things that, uh, uh, that we can use. Uh, and I can go into to some uh, uh, specifics there. Uh, I got my ministry really started as a high school student. And as we, excuse me, in, in college, uh, 
And I found that's why I really saw the need for more African Americans to be involved in the Great Commission. Uh, when we when I came on with crew, I did not notice that it was as white as it was. And I wanted people to know if they could share or, or hear the experiences that I went through and if they could have a better knowledge of, of what crew did in the early period of time, the points in which we were successful, uh, the points where we made mistakes. I wanted the staff to know that at one point crew was on the cutting edge of evangelism, especially with uh, uh, in non-profit uh, organizations. And I wanted this to be an encouragement also to the ethnic staff, particularly the black staff. Uh, if they could just know, hey, you are part of a movement that did not start yesterday or a few years ago. I wanted crew, all of us, to be excited. We feel that this could open up some doors for uh uh, for staff, for them to get excited, to be creative, uh, to pray. And I think crew has lost a lot of that, and they had no idea that they ever had it. So I, I, I really wanted us to under, understand uh, black history. I never felt that uh, uh, our crew staff, black staff, were ever recognized or appreciated for their boldness, for their creativity, and uh, for the direction, they were some of the best people, uh, I would say, among Christians and Christian organizations. So I wanted people to be aware of that. Let it be a period of encouragement. But also, let it be a period of lamenting uh, for us to say, we really did some things that we should not have, have done. And believe it or not, some of the things are carrying over even uh, today. Uh, I wanted to be encouragement to uh, many of our white staff as well, that if they trust God, they believe God, God will show them some things. And I want them to be encouraged, not to feel threatened, not to be guilty or feel guilt, but be able to say, hey, we can still do it. And lastly, for them to recognize those white staff who took the risk, who really got involved and who opened up the door so that that's some of the reasons of uh, why 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 we did that did this. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. And last month, you posted in the Crew Cultural Competency Learning Group asking if staff would be interested in highlights of Crew Black history, and you said, "Please respond in the comments with yes, no, not sure, or enough is enough." So. What made you choose those as the possible responses? I wanted to cover everything. And for people to, to feel the freedom, uh, it, it, they don't have to say yes or no. They, they can mention that they're thinking about it. And the no, enough is, is enough is, is, is a way of saying, hey, we've talked enough about this. Cannot we put these things in the past and let us go forward into some, some new stuff? Uh, black folks, you know, you've been liberated. You, you're no longer in, in slavery. Uh, we went through the uh, period of the uh, civil rights. Uh, you're educated. Things are going great. Enough is enough. So that's why uh, I chose that. Also, I wanted a little laughter, a little humor in that. <laughs> but no one said enough is enough. Uh, nobody said no either. <laughs> but I got, I got some positive responses. And, and the reason I did that, I don't want to force anything down anybody's throat. I wanted to see if there is a demand for this. Uh, are people really interested? And if so, it would be worth my effort to do this. I don't want to do things just for no reason, uh, just to prove anything or to make anyone suffer. I want to do this so we can look at our hearts. We can look at what God has called us to. When we look at the Great Commission, it is all the world, all ethnic groups. So uh, uh, that's, that's one of the reasons I, I got started there. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you've posted so far for Black History Month. I know one of your posts 
this wasn't necessarily, I'm actually, I can't remember if this was one of those posts or not, but you posted a picture, maybe it was from Impact 2018, and it was the first crew campus team on historically black college and universities. And you, the caption said, they led the way in spite of crew to build movements reaching black college students. So can you give a little bit of backstory to that? Yeah, I, I, I will. There, you know, there was a time, uh, let me go back to Expo 72. Uh, we had our first real ministries uh, with blacks and crew with, uh, with AIA. AIA had a basketball team. And if you want to win games, of course, you want to have some black basketball players. And that was the early draw. Expo 72 came up in a period of time where they need to recruit some black uh, black students. And these uh, these ball players went around the country and they uh, did a good job. And if you're going to recruit black students, you want to go to historically black college campuses. And these are campuses that were about 101 or more during that period of time. And they were established because of segregations. Uh, blacks were not allowed to go to regular uh, institutions. And most of these were started by churches, by denominations. Uh, these were Christians who uh, put their belief, uh, their faith into action. So we have a lot of these. So they went to all of these uh, campuses that did a good job. There were several hundred who were involved, and most of them went to Bishop College, which was at that time a historically black college campus. And the crew had about eighty thousand students in the Cotton Bowl. But during the day, uh, they were divided uh, in order to get their uh, uh, training: how to be filled with the Spirit, how to walk in the Spirit, how to share your faith. And most of the hosts at that time were large churches. But for the black students, the draw was for them to go together at uh, Bishop College. And once I found out about that, I, I, went, I went to Bishop College. And uh, they had some of the best. At, uh, Andre Crouch was there. Uh, you might remember him. Uh, you had people like E.V. Hill, Tom Skinner. So between the sessions, they, they talked about the need to reach black college students, the need for the church to go into the black community, and that those in that room receiving that training uh, were the people that God, God can use. So that's why I got my strong vision for reaching out to black college students. Uh, I found out after I came on staff that crew afterwards uh, – talked about placement, and they wanted to put everybody in one location in San Bernardino. But these early staff and associates were just excited. They learned so much about the needs on these historically black college campuses. And they thought that crew should place them there. Uh, crew did not, and many of them uh, left, uh, left staff. Uh, but that vision for going out into many uh to these schools uh, really stayed. It, uh, it was there. So when I came on staff, uh, there was a delay, but finally we got on these college campuses. Uh, I went to the Atlanta University Center, the schools that include uh, Spelman, Morehouse, Mars Brown, Clark, uh, uh, Atlanta University, uh, very strategic place. That's where Martin Luther King uh, went. Uh, that's where the first, and we, when you talk about historically black college campuses, of course, the first black astronaut, uh, uh, you have five mayors that have graduated from historically black college campuses. It's just, it's just a great, a great, uh, a great place. So that, that's where we, we started. Now, give me the original question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you referred to something called what went wrong? And I think that just uh, now you, you alluded to it. Yeah. yeah. What went wrong was you had these staff who were just excited about going and reaching other black college students. And the place to go were on these historically black college campuses. Do you know there were no, uh, uh, should I say, Bible-believing evangelical parachurch uh, groups that were on any of these colleges? Zero. Uh, and they saw a need. They saw how God could use them. 
and they saw how strategic that was. But they didn't have the patience, so many of them, many of them left. By the time I got to uh, new staff training, I found that many of them uh, had left. So that was part of that uh, mass exodus. Uh, what do we learn from that is to listen to uh, black staff. They know how, what is strategic and what the placements should be. They have a vision. They need to be involved in that process. Back then, you had uh, white leadership just said, well, they didn't see the need for that kind of an emphasis. And they wanted to do things just like they do on staff. But the main draw at that point uh, was to work on historically black co uh, colleges and universities, but also to reach black students uh, at other colleges. Uh, so that, that's what that mass, mass exodus was about. So I want to switch gears for a moment and ask you about, you've posted quite a bit about a book by Jamar Tisby called The Color of Compromise. Yes, Color of Compromise. Can you t and I think you actually, did you meet him and get a book signed by him? I did. I, mm -hmm. I, I did. Uh, I got his uh, book on, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Ken, uh, I got it online at <laughs> Amazon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the e-book? Yeah, I got, I got the e-book. And then my nice. son uh, sent me the uh, hardback book. And uh, so that's the one I got, I got signed. By the way, my son, Timothy, is a college professor at uh, Mount St. Mary's University. And he's a history professor and uh, American history. But also, he, he knows his black history uh, as, as well. So, yeah, I got it signed, and he shared some of the key things that were, that were in the book. And a lot of it was talked about silence. It, it talked about a period uh, in American history, and where he asked the question, where was the, black ch where was the white church? Uh, in many cases, they were, they were silent. It went over key periods in, in history where the white church could have made a difference. And he asked the question, why is there a black church or a white church? Uh, and in slavery, they were all integrated. Of course, the slave owners did not want to see Africans meet, uh, slaves meet off by themselves because uh, they might try to uh, be some kind of a, con a conspiracy here. But he, he starts off with the slavery period and how many Christians were slave owners. Uh, even some of the great revivalists were slave owners, uh, people like uh, uh, George Whitfield uh, and others. See, Christianity was made for whites, and then they had trouble dealing with that, so they had to declare slaves to be non-human. Uh, then it, it just went through the Jim Crow period. Uh, when you look at the first African-American churches, you look at some key people, the, the, the early churches were started, like, for instance, Absalom Jones and some others, uh, this, this was started because blacks were not allowed, uh, they had to go to certain places to pray. Um, uh, but when Absalom Jones and other people decided they wanted to pray uh, downstairs in the main sanctuary, they were asked to leave was at that point that they started their own uh, church. Um, Mother Bethel, if you go to Philadelphia, you'll see that church is, is, is still involved. Uh, AME Zion Church also was started, which was this AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. They had to start because uh, Christians were not, uh, black Christians were not allowed to go into that. Uh, there was a guy named Hoosier, I think it was Harold Hoosier back in the days, and he was a driver uh, for a, a, a bishop, and he went around the country, and uh, over a period of time, he learned how to preach, and it got to a point where he was the main, the main draw. Uh, some people think, well, did Indiana gets his name Hoosier from him? We don't, we don't know. But some great things happened. The church did, white church did nothing. 
They did not speak uh, or stand up during the Jim Crow uh, period of time, was after slavery. As a matter of fact, the division between the North and the South created two denominations, the Northern Baptists and the Southern Baptists. And then you had the same thing happen with the Presbyterians, uh, Southern Presbyterians and the Northern Presbyterians. Uh, it, it was a period of time where white churches were not very supportive. There are many, many stories uh, that are told in, in that regard. So it was a forced segregation. During the civil rights period, uh, they were not very supportive of that, that, uh, that movement. Uh, Martin Luther King himself, he wrote uh, a letter from Birmingham jail, which really was a letter that was uh, uh, for, targeted for uh, white churches. And he was trying to encourage them to get involved in the process. Uh, even when we, he talks about the, the period of time with our, our college and, u- and universities, uh, there was a period of time when, you know, blacks is only, black folk only recently were able to go to uh, conservative uh, evangelical universities. I'm not going to mention their names, but Dallas Theological Seminary <laughs> was, was one, all, 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 all of them. And, uh, of course, there were certain schools that did open up the doors, and they called them liberal uh, colleges or liberal seminaries now. But black folk were just literally uh, excluded. And this, is, this goes to the history, but it's mainly geared toward the Christian church and the problems uh, of race, of ethnicity, of dehumanized people, not making them equal or not consider the equality. There, there are many things. And he talks about that all the way from the time they're on the boats to the present day. Uh, it, it's a very, very, very good book. So, Tom, would you say that part of lamenting within crew or outside of crew is just not being silent? Uh, it's more than that. It's For crew, is going back to the past. It's a re- time of a repentance. It's a time to say, forgive me. A time that says, we have sinned. Uh, uh, it, it's before you can have restitution or, or, or reconciliation, you have to be able to forgive, uh, admit what you've done is wrong. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to repeat it. And I think this is, this is so important. Uh, that's what Israel did in the Old Testament. So it was a time where they lamented. God wanted them to confess, repent. What we've done has been wrong. Lord, forgive us. Uh, and then from that point, God said uh, he, he, could, he could use us. Uh, and and that's, that's true and true. We're trying to move forward without recognizing the sin in the past. Uh, we trying to go forward without recognizing the hurt that has been done uh, in, in the past, the mistakes that have been made. And there, there have been many, but we cannot ignore it and act as though these things have never happened. Uh, we have to go and say, Lord, use us, we confess. Uh, we have sinned. We're disobedient. And in terms of silence, we, we need to speak up. We need to go forward. We need to be the leaders that we were. Uh, let, let, let me share. Uh, often we talk about the things that went wrong. Let's talk about the things that, let's recognize the successful things. Uh, there's a film that Crew had back in 19, it came out 1970. 475 was called Too Late to Wait. And this book, uh, this film was, uh, was about a student. He was being witnessed to by a group of uh, black students. I guess it was a crew at that time. And he just tried to figure out, his question was, how can I be a Christian and maintain my blackness? If I become a Christian, can I be black and a Christian? And throughout this film, it talked about them witnessing to him, sharing, and going over some apologetical theme that you could be both. 
that Christianity was not just for white people. And in the film, they share the gospel. They actually go through the four spiritual laws, and he accepts Christ. And that was way back then. There was a period of time where literally crew not only had this great resource of witnessing, but crew had this conference called uh, Harambe, where it drew students from across the country. Uh, it it, it uh, drew pastors. Let me tell you some of the speakers. E.V. Hill, Tom Skinner was there. Uh, he had some great performers were there. Uh, Jesse Jackson was there. And Jesse Jackson put an emphasis on uh, the importance of sharing the gospel and that possibly God is calling him to be a, an evangelist. Uh, uh, we, we had uh, uh, other groups. I can't uh, think of all of them in this, at this time. But God was moving. We we're drawing the top people. We we're on the cutting edge. And we asked the question, well, uh, what happened? What happened? We were the first, the early ones to go on historic black college campuses. At one time, we had, we were on three. We had the AU Center. We are at Jackson State, Howard University. Uh, we were doing absolutely good. What stopped us? What made us successful? Uh, we, we, we need to, uh, to look at all these things. Paul Eschman, <laughs> of course, uh, was there. I mentioned E.V. Hill. Uh, Tom Skinner, we had the uh, director, uh, bishops of denominations. We were on the cutting edge. But I don't think crew uh, recognized or knew enough about what was really necessary to reach black college students and to be in the community. So, uh, oh, there's another guy who was there. He just did a little seminar. Uh, his name was, his, he is referred to now as Dr. Crawford Ritz, <laughs> But we got him in his, in his, in his early days. So uh, we have to acknowledge this is what we did right, and also this is what we did wrong. Uh, there's a praise and worship, but also there's a period of lament and a period of confession. Tom, one of the first posts I saw of yours on Workplace was where you posted a picture of Brian Loritz's book, Insider Outsider? Yes, yes. Insider Outsider, yes. Mm-hmm. With a caption that said, it either said, read and send as a Christmas gift or read and sent as a Christmas gift. I'm not sure if you read it and sent it or if, or if you were exhorting us <laughs> to, but <laughs> well, you said I, it I, sounds I, like... <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure. Uh, well, this way I read it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even had some others read it. And he shared from the perspective of he was, he grew, his dad was Crawford. He, uh, he was involved with Crusade. He could speak as one the insider, as one who uh, grew up with whites, blacks, integrated situations. Uh, but yet, no matter what he did, he was an outsider. Uh, no matter what kind of ethnic you are, you can be on the inside, but you're considered an outsider. You're not really a part of the movement. Uh, you always be considered different. If you speak well, you're seen as an exception. Uh, if you do well, it's not ordinary. When people see you, they will always see a color, no matter how you say you are colorblind. Uh, if you're with a group of other blacks, people will ask the question, why are all these blacks together? Uh, why are they sitting together? Why are they eating together? Uh, questions. Uh, there will be stereotypes. Uh, you, you name it. But you will always be seen as, 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 as different. Insider, outsider. He spoke as uh, a part of the evangelical church, inside and outside. Uh, he even talked about the church. Well, I read two books at the same time that he wrote, so I, I, may, I might uh, get it mixed up. E- e- even with the style of, uh, of worship, that there's a tension. E- even as you speak, when you're white people, you have to speak. Uh, you can't get too excited. As, as, as I would say. Uh, whereas in the black church, you get excited. Uh, 
if you are in a situation uh, with the music, you have to get bored with the acoustic guitar. But if you go into a black church, they're going to get excited and put on that organ, Hammond B3 or whatever. But just some differences. And, and, and in order to be accepted, a black person must act or feel they must act like white. Uh, they have to leave their heritage and their culture behind, and they have to accept. They have to accept the majority culture and to be white. Uh, in order to be uh, recognized or anything, you have to uh, give up your ethnicity, your blackness, and then go in to be white. That's what it talks about, uh, insider, uh, outsider. Well, and you said it, that sounds like your 45 years with crew. Yes. Yes, it, it is. Uh, should I say this or not? <laughs> One of the things with, with crew, uh, I had a vision for coming here. Uh, and, and it was to reach uh, black students and reach out in the black community and be involved in the black church. Uh, my belief was to send laborers into the harvest, uh, multiplication, discipleship as a key component. Uh, I was able to go historically black college campuses, to go on city projects before it was called inner city projects, going to places like Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, D.C., uh, get students involved, work with, with churches. Uh, I also have a vision for going overseas. Uh, uh, we felt that, and we did, uh, take students uh, overseas. Uh, so it was a holistic vision. Therefore, within crew, I had an opportunity to do these kind of things. I, I didn't feel I was restricted or I didn't, let anybody know that I didn't believe I was I was restricted. Uh, we were able. I was able to carry out the vision, and I did not uh, go uh, give up who I was. Did not give up uh, my vision, and that's that's a part of that. Uh, as black folk, I refuse to be stereotype. Uh, I remember my first. Uh, uh, and I think as we can be very effective as, 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 as black people. When I first went to Nairobi, uh, one of the uh, blacks over there was surprised uh, to see a, a, a black American. And he went up to me and hugged me. And to him, I was a Negro, to give you an idea how long ago that was. And he asked very seriously, asked me questions, were there any uh, Negroes, Christian Negroes in America? And I explained, sure, sure. And then he said, really? He says, all I see is white people. And he made me promise, when you go back, can you bring as many Christian Negroes as you can? And that impacted my life. And that's what I, what I did. And we've seen many, many African Americans go uh, to, to Africa. And we're very effective. But I went to other, to other places, too, uh, as part of working with a high school uh, group. We went to Venezuela, and we went to a part where we got the students involved doing some medical uh, distributions, and there was a church plant, and we went out into the neighborhood. I was supposed to speak that evening, didn't know what to say, but as I went to the neighborhood, they began to ask me questions about rap music, uh, about the different uh, performers, and they wanted to know is, is, if Tupac was alive or, or dead. And then I, then I began to say, whoa, my goodness, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to change my talk. And these young folk came. We had nine. I prayed to receive Christ. Uh, there was something about black people around, African-Americans around, around the world. And there was a, high, uh, a group out of Howard University, and they went over. They decided during this spring break that we're going to uh, a certain country, <laughs> and uh, they were supposed to do something improving English in this particular college, and that's all he did. He couldn't really share Christ, but he could always answer questions. And they were doing it from a history, black history uh, 
helping their English by speaking, uh, 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 talking about uh, black history. Afterwards, one of the stu- students said, well, how, why do black people accept Christianity after they have been treated so harshly, so badly? Why are there black Christians in America? And, of course, it was answered. They talk about God. They talk about Christianity. It was not really European. Uh, it wasn't by whites. It was the area where it was. It was brown people, black people. And uh, as they shared, they said, well, tell us more. And at that time, they could share the gospel. And two of the students came to know Christ. It is my belief that black people can go, people can go anywhere in the world and do a great, great job. Uh, so I, I, I see crew as a launching pad to help see my vision uh, fulfilled. So that's why I'm here. I got another reason too. There's, there's some of the best staff in the world, families, uh, uh, people, young people had a chance to see people become not only married but have family. Did you know there are a couple of Black staff, kids on staff. Uh, and uh, I was blessed because one of the staff daughters married my son. So I call that being fruitful. Uh, so we, we, we are blessed. I hope that answers uh, that particular question. Yeah. So at one point online, you said that you feel like you've been sort of blacklisted within crew. What is oh, that? What does that oh, mean? Oh, I can't talk about that here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said I could ask you anything. Uh, anything. Anything but that? Uh, I'm not going to talk. <laughs> we can cut that out if you really oh, don't want to okay. talk about let, it. Let, let's put it this way. Let, let's, let's go back to the purpose of oneness. And diversity, and oneness mm-hmm. and the diversity, uh, they they recognized that there was something in the Christian, there's something in crew structure. We we asked the questions: Why are there hardly any uh, African Americans or, or ethnics in leadership and and crew? Look around, and there's there's no one. And, and they began to ask the question: Why? And one of the things that came up was let us prepare, let us help uh, uh, staff for leadership, help them get, in tr- get trained instead of randomly never get involved. See, perhaps, perhaps crew system was a good old good boy system. I think you said the same thing about, about women is who you know, who you're friends with, and you're elevated to those, those positions. And African-Americans were just not a part of that. Uh, you could say, in a sense, uh, they were on the black list or on the, the, the brown list. And, and sure, I felt the same way. Uh, so when I say that I'm a part of that, I, I, I wasn't accepted uh, in, 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 in the system. If you say too much, uh, you, you can get into trouble. <laughs> and uh, I wanted people that perhaps had, had, uh, had said, uh, said a lot. Uh, also, I come from the past, and I think this is a time where crew has been looking for new people, uh, fresh ideas, etc. Uh, I've been on staff for 45 years. Uh, one of the reasons I, uh, I did these articles is that I feel a crew needs to go back, recognize what black staff have done in the past, appreciate what they've done in the past. Uh, recognize their contributions. Uh, the fact that they went out into new areas. Uh, we had staff to go out overseas. Uh, when I first went to South Africa, I was invited to, and this was during apartheid, I was involved in uh, bringing uh, the different races together, talking about it, and having them pray in different groups, going out, witnessing uh, and then sometimes, like the, any average person, if you talk about race, if you talk about Jim Crow and those things in the past, people feel guilty. 
they, they will say, I wasn't there, it wasn't my fault, uh, or whatever. So I, I think uh, during our period of time, perhaps we were a threat. Uh, and I think uh, crew wants to do things differently without confessing. And so it's easier to work with the new blood than the old blood. So one could say, perhaps, uh, I'll use that term, blacklisted. It's not just me, but it's some of your old other or older staff as well. Well, Tom, can you tell us where you're on staff now and with which ministry and what kind of things are you working on? Yes. Well, you know, I was in the campus ministry for years. And uh, I was involved in taking students and people overseas. Uh, During 9-11, we had a team, part of a team, to go up, share with churches, to go out and share the faith. Uh, I was involved in what used to be called the Matching Fund, which helps, uh, uh, motivates uh, ethnic staff on getting through their their funding. Uh, we did start uh, one of the things that's helped uh, our black staff is we had a black staff retreat year after year where we dealt with the issues that only they could deal with, that in a regular white crew environment they would never receive. We helped with self-confidence, how to trust God. We shared visions. Uh, we shared the unique things that we go through and our uh, support raising or MPD uh, processes. We talked about leadership and getting leadership training. And we gave them responsibilities in our own uh, uh, summer projects and our own conferences. We had a conference called uh, Vision 77. And out of that, I think most of the students uh, came on staff. Some of them are older staff uh, now. Uh, we help work with uh, uh, the Crawford Lewis's ministry with Explos- excuse me, Chicago 81, which is out of this world with the number of pastors and lay people and the people who are called to full-time ministry. So that, that's, that's some of uh, a little bit of my, my background. Uh, what I do now is I'm involved in a ministry called City, and our emphasis is church movement, which is using our resources, our vision to involve more churches uh, in evangelism, uh, discipleship, uh, mainly uh, evangelism and and discipleship. And how can we do a, a good a, a good job of that? Which means developing relationships, spending time with churches, with 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 pastors. Uh, uh, my what I, I I try to do that w- with black churches mainly, all churches, but the black churches. Uh, we had a uh, uh, impact movement had a conference. We went out evangelizing many black students. We went to 10 sites, uh, mostly with churches, did some creative things. I'm using that as a launching pad. And uh, they involved with the homeless, a lot of things. I had some stats, but I don't have it in front of me. But we had over 400 college students share, and they made over 400, 423 contacts sharing the gospel. We saw 15 people come to know know Christ. And what I'm doing is to follow up and and have the churches follow up those who got saved, but to follow up on how we can do more of this, not just once a year or not just for an event, but how we can do this as a lifestyle. So my goal is to help get the members trained to have their evangelist outreach to do it on a regular basis, but also develop tools. That's what I'm doing. How can we have better resources where we can deal with what black churches are dealing with? Uh, Not just Bible verses and biblical principles, but how we can put these in action. Uh, How we can have our evangelism that's centered around events, 
the calendar. This is Black History Month. We want to help churches do their evangelism through church history. Uh, part of our outreach was something called uh, the uh, game truck. Uh, that's where you have all this computerized stuff, games, and and all of this. And one of the places we went to is how to use technology to draw students into the parking lots, et cetera, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to extend this and to say, this is how we can help you do this on a regular basis. Other thing we did with the church, they had moved to a different location. They wanted to uh, know what their populations, the demographics were like, develop a sur- they developed a survey, and at the same time, they had things where they can lead somebody to Christ, but they wanted to know what their neighborhoods look like. Many churches have no idea what's in their own neighborhood. But our goal is also to extend this and to say, how about the neighborhoods of your members? Are there any parents that go to uh, involved in school activities? Are they involved uh, in sports activities? A lot of this can be used to have a ministry. So we're going to look at where your members spend the most of their time. Uh, we have things on conversational evangelism how to share uh, your faith, where you are. So this is part of our training. Uh, pray <laughs> that some of these churches will say, yes, uh, this is something that we can do. So that's, that, that's, uh, that's my goal. I don't want to sound too, too crazy, but I would like to see some of them uh, uh, send their uh, members into full-time ministry started with some short-term ministry. And we want to do this with the model of black churches and get some white churches involved as well. But this is our opportunity to do these things, to experiment with some, uh, some black churches. That's what I do.